You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, y'all. Spooky season is here. And if you're looking for a show to whet your appetite for a little haunted history, then I'd like to invite you to check out Southern Gothic, a chart-topping history podcast that explores some of the most infamous legends, folklore, ghost stories, and hauntings of the American South. We've covered all sorts of stuff from the Bell Witch of Tennessee to the disappearance of the Confederate submarine, the H.L. Hunley, not to mention our deep dives into the local lore of some of America's oldest and most haunted cities like New Orleans, Charleston, and St. Augustine. So if you're ready for a little good old-fashioned Halloween storytelling with a commitment to quality historical research, then be sure to check out Southern Gothic today. It's available now on all your favorite podcast apps. The Windy City, the Second City, Chai Town, Chicagoland. It's got many names and many, many wonderful people, and many, many wonderful places to eat. It's got many legends, many stories of ghosts and strange lore. But since the middle of last year, people have been alleging it's got a new resident, a winged humanoid quite similar in description to the Mothman of Point Pleasant, West Virginia. Is the great city of Chicago being invaded by a mysterious flying creature that defies science and logic? Stay tuned. It's actually quite unlike anything we've ever seen before. A giant hairy creature, part ape, part man. In Loch Ness, a 24-mile-long bottomless lake in the highlands of Scotland. It's a creature known as the Loch Ness Monster. Monster Talk. Welcome to Monster Talk, the science show about monsters. I'm Blake Smith. And I'm Karen Stoltzner. I never feel like I have to apologize for being skeptical. For me, true skepticism is about looking for evidence and testable explanations and trying to use critical thinking when examining issues. This is certainly not limited to the paranormal, but I hope it's clear by now that Karen and I, and many of you awesome Monster Talk listeners, are able to simultaneously enjoy these kind of stories and also to think critically about whether or not they're true. Often, it's impossible to find out if something really happened, but you can check out stories to see if there's any obvious discrepancies between what was reported and what really happened. Skeptical paranormal investigations are a lot like detective work. Did the witnesses report a bright full moon, but according to the calendar, it was really rainy with a new moon? Did the story involve a quiet, eerie walk down a lonely street? Only at the time, there was a huge concert and the sidewalks would have been filled with potential witnesses. 
These don't always disprove strange stories, but checking out the real landscape and circumstances around a story can often reveal details which hint at embellishment, mistaken identification, or even outright hoaxes. There are plenty of reasons to be highly skeptical of the idea of a man-sized winged humanoid flying around Chicago. For accounts of these creatures that describe a winged humanoid, we have the problem that from a scientific perspective, biology on Earth doesn't support any evolutionary basis for a six-limbed humanoid capable of flight. Birds of this size wouldn't have six limbs. We've talked about the four-limb biological model before. These are called tetrapods. I recommend you check out Tetrapod Zoology Podcast by Darren Nash at tetzoo.com. Earth is also home to flying six-limbed creatures, but we call them insects, and they're not the size of humans. But just because something doesn't fit within the known patterns of biology doesn't mean it shouldn't be researched. It just suggests there might be other factors at play, such as misidentification or, sadly, hoaxing. And even though the very least likely explanation is that an unknown human-sized animal is out there flying around the skies of Chicago, there's no harm in looking. In fact, there might be something to be gained. As these stories of what folks are calling the Chicago Mothman or the Chicago Owlman and a few other variants of winged humanoid are beginning to pile up, it's wise to be skeptical and to check out these claims. Our guest in this episode is Allison Jornlin. And I'm linking to a YouTube playlist where she's done hours and hours of footwork to actually visit all the locations where more than 60 reports of this creature have been pinpointed. I hope you'll enjoy this show, and I hope you'll check out the show notes where we link to many of these reports and to her videos. These stories are coming from multiple witnesses, but the prime source for the accounts is Lon Strickler's website, Phantoms and Monsters. I've linked to his site and to his book on the topic. I did reach out to him, as we talk about in the episode, to see if he wanted to talk about his experiences collecting these tales, but he has declined to be interviewed. But we're not done with the topic of Mothman after this, so as always, keep watching the skies and your Monster Talk feed. Monster Talk. Okay, uh, so uh, welcome to Monster Talk, Allison Jornlin. Uh, Allison reached out to me through Facebook to talk about the Chicago Mothman sightings, and I invited her on the show because of some of the extensive work she's done looking into this matter. Uh, but I don't think uh, most of our listeners will probably know you or your work. Would you like to give an introduction for who you are and how you got involved with this sort of topic? Sure. Well, I've always been interested in the essential questions, as many of us are, you know, whether you class yourself as a skeptic or a believer. I, you know, I think we're all interested in, you know, what happens after death and, uh, you know, are we alone? All those great questions, you know, they always uh, really sucked me in. And so I decided, uh, you know, that I'd get involved in researching the paranormal and, um, I, I guess my first official foray into it is uh, I run MilwaukeeGhost.com, uh, which is a clearinghouse for uh, Midwestern ghost stories and other strange tales. And I started the, the first uh, haunted history tour in Milwaukee in 2008. And I, I just uh, did that uh, because, you know, I love Milwaukee and I, I wanted to celebrate the folklore and the history like so many other cities do. Uh, they're they're really proud of their history, and uh, so that's that's where I started. But you know, much I'm you know much more uh, than just ghost. I mean, I'm interested in any anything strange uh, that might give me some answers to those questions, those essential questions that we all face. 
Great. Well, we're interested in all those topics as well, everything. Right. Uh, and, and so it seems, sorry. Oh, I, I was just going to say, so, uh, you know, after uh, starting uh, the Haunted History Tour here in Milwaukee, I got a lot of opportunities uh, to investigate haunted places. And so I started working with paranormal investigative groups. And, you know, even before that, I mean, anytime I go on vacation, it's all haunted or, uh, you know, UFO or, you know, Bigfoot, any of those weird uh, regional uh, locations. You know, if we're going on vacation in that area, you know, I, I am out there looking for the weird. So... You know, now I'm kind of doing it uh, in, you know, a more public forum. Well, that sounds like us too, I think. Uh, I, I can't tell you how many trips I've uh, organized just on the, the basis of going to, to visit purportedly haunted locations. But it seems like you've been doing this for a little while. Uh, but we're, we've got you on the show to specifically talk about the Chicago Mothman. So how did you develop an interest in the Chicago Mothman claims? Well, you know, if... I started to see that, hey, you know, all these claims are coming forward in Chicago. If if I'm really affording an investigator, if I'm really interested in the paranormal, then, hey, you know, I know I'm in Milwaukee, but Chicago is not that far away. It's close enough that any any Fortean researcher should want to get out there, boots on the ground, and take a look for themselves. Don't just, you know, sit there in the armchair and read all these extraordinary accounts. You know, hey, maybe get out there and and see what's really going on. Um, And, of course, you know, this is monster talk. And I love monsters. I have to just admit that. And if there's any chance that I could come close or, you know, rub shoulders with a monster, I'm going to get out there and do it. And and that's that's why I became interested. I'm like, wow, you know, like all these sightings, like every week there seems to be a new sighting. And, uh, you know, right now we are up to 67 sightings. And uh, so I've been to I've been to 60 of them. And then, uh, so there's a few that have occurred this year, which I'm going to get out there again and make sure that I document all the locations. Because I I think anytime extraordinary claims are made, you want to get as much information as you can. And nothing does that like boots on the ground. Wow. 67. Yeah, you've got your finger yeah. on the pulse because we thought it was 63. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I just checked again this morning. Um, and there were actually four, which if you watch my YouTube videos on youtube.com slash Mothman, um, you'll, you'll see that some of them have been removed and no explanation was given. I, I'm working from Lon Strickler's uh, Chicago Phantom uh, Sightings Map, and it's a Google map. And uh, so I've actually been to a few more that have actually been removed. Um, and I have about 10 that I need to go out and uh, investigate in 2018 now. You know, um, there's you've got a, a playlist that connects all these. And yeah. <laughs> the uh, I, so for people who use, you know, URL shorteners, there's bit.ly. People call it bit.ly. Um, I made a bit.ly link for it uh, for Chicago Mothman with a C capitalized and the M capitalized. So if you just go to bit.ly forward slash capital C Chicago, capital M Mothman, it'll take you right to the playlist. Oh, great. Thank you very much. No problem. We'll put a link to that in the show notes as well. So, 
But that's, I mean, you're spending a good bit of time out there. And I, I are you doing this as a live interactive feed? What What's your methodology? Yes, because <laughs> yeah. So what, what I'm doing is I will I go out to the scene, and I record a Facebook Live video, and it, it goes out to all my friends and followers, and then I can take some of their questions uh, at if they occur at the location. So you know, it's just trying to be open source, trying to, you know, reach out to people. Uh, so that's where I, I first um, will uh, put the video is on Facebook Live. That's where I record it. And then I take the video and just put it up on YouTube after that. That's neat. I've never used Facebook Live. Are you getting several people involved, like actively asking questions most of the time? Or, or how does that work? <laughs> well, it, it depends because, uh, you know, I, I, I don't have certain times where when people know that I'm going to be out. It, it's, you know, I'm a, a fourth grade teacher. So it's whenever I have a free weekend to drive out to Chicago, then it, it occurs. So, you know, I can't I can't have uh, you know, I can't give people an advance warning that I'm going to be out uh, hunting Mothman. Gotcha. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, you know, yeah, uh, we do get a, a fair amount of people watching the videos. And that's uh, partly because of, of the way Facebook treats Facebook Live. Uh, they really give it prominence uh, when you go live on Facebook. So a lot of people see it. How, how uh, far of a drive is this time wise for you? Uh, it's, well, it, it depends. Obviously, um, right, you know, I, it's about two hours generally. There uh, and back or each that, way? Yeah. Uh, each way. Wow. That's a yeah. real commitment to checking these places out. Do you, well, do you stop and get some deep dish pizza or anything? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, certainly there's benefits to going to Chicago, of yeah. course. And I take advantage of them uh, whenever I can. But yeah, like some sometimes it's like, oh, man, not like I'm going to get 10 done. You know, I'm going to get 10 done this Saturday. Right. And I just go out there and and, you know, I'm eating bagels in the car. <laughs> <laughs> and throwing papers around it's you know my trash mobile uh but you know because it's real it really is something that's important to me and i'm i'm kind i kind of wonder why more people don't do it you know it if the information is freely available uh, about what's been reported let's get out there and see if we can dot some i's and cross some t's and if we can't that's still going to teach us something i mean all right i really wanted mothman to jump out of the bushes you know just to get a little nibble or something right well, you, you know karen and i've talked a little bit about this because i mean what you're doing fits into a couple of well several different sort of categories of, of activity you're on the one hand you're doing investigation and mm -hmm. but you're also doing what sort of is being called dark tourism these days, right? Oh, yeah. Like a legend tripping Le and legend yeah. tripping. Yeah, there's several names for it. But and I've done it too. I think you know I, I've talked a few times, and um, I'm probably going to do an Art Bell sort of retrospective tribute slash discussion episode. And that all started for me back in a, a road trip I took in 1997 to sort of go see some of the real UFO sites that, you know, I had been looking into for years. But it, it's a the imperative to go out there and see for yourself. It's not necessarily whether you're going to see Mothman. Yeah. But it, it lets you actually, what did this place look like? What would it have been like at night? What would it have been like when the conditions were there? You know, are there discrepancies between the alleged story and and what I, I'm actually seeing on the ground? That, that I think it's a... It's a really important thing to go check out. Yeah, and, and I just want to find something. 
You know, yeah. I, I want to just find an answer. And I'm, I'm not wedded to it has to be a monster. Uh, I, you know, I, years back, I went to a paranormal conference. And at the end of the conference, uh, on that Sunday, everybody was just meeting to say goodbye. And then somebody ran in and they were like, oh, my God, I saw this creature outside. It's huge. And and they had a picture of it that they projected on the, the big screen that all the speakers had been using. And I'm like, that thing looks like a hyena. And my husband and I had a little bit of time to, uh, you know, go out and, you know, uh, before we had to rush home and he's like, Hey, do you want to, do you want to just, you know, drive around, see if we can find it? And I'm like, yeah. And we found it, but it was a mangy fox. And it, it was really sad that it wasn't this huge hyena-like creature that it appeared to be in the picture. But that was really something that that taught me an important lesson, which is photos can be really deceiving. Yeah. And, you know, we were able to get video footage, fo follow this poor little guy around. Um, but uh, then when we came back to the conference, there were a few people that were still there. And we were like, oh, we got footage. And they were like really excited. But then when they saw, you know, what it really was, they were almost mad. And um, I was disappointed by that reaction because I was like, mm -hmm. look, we went out there and we followed the lead. And I just felt like, you know, OK, it's not a monster. I wanted it to be a monster, too. But we, we got something. And mm -hmm. I, I just I just think that uh, more people need to get out there and just look for their own answers. And I think uh, as far as the paranormal goes, you know, I'm not saying that extraordinary things don't happen. I have had some extraordinary experiences in my life and seen some things that heretofore, you know, I cannot explain uh, by uh, any any means that that we currently know so i know those things exist but I, I just wonder you know we can get out there and we can see you know what is going on and and learn from that no matter what and i, I you know i i think in the paranormal these uh, experiences that you have are very personal you might not be able to repeat them in the lab that doesn't mean they don't happen but i i think we gotta separate the wheat from the chaff and you know that's what i'm most interested in doing and that's why i'm still talking about the chicago mothman neat speaking of which can you tell us a little bit a bit about some of the major sightings of the chicago mothman like what are what is it that people are describing yeah, so uh, there was one um, in the in the summer um, of uh, 2017 where a photo was captured, and so I was really excited about that one. That was in in Melrose Park, uh, Illinois. Uh, so this, the what's been reported is is pretty similar, although there there are some sightings that have been you know lumped in together, but uh, where it's like, hey, that sounds more like a UFO, or hey, that was a you know, some kind of bug creature, <laughs> but uh, what's been described is like a seven or eight foot tall, uh, dark figure, uh, usually uh, thin uh, and has wings that can be a, a wink to a wingspan of about 10 feet and can have like a crest on the head, like almost like a pointed head. And of course, the the uh, red glowing eyes. So that's what's been reported uh, for the most part. And uh, the uh, Melrose Park sighting, that was compelling because it had a, a photo. But when I went to that site, 
this was one a turning point for me because I started to see that things weren't lining up. That they had a photo that went with the sighting. So uh, and and this uh, location, Winston Plaza in the Melrose Park area uh, of Chicagoland, uh, is a strip mall. There's no other way to say it. And this woman had been in uh, this woman who reported the sighting had been in uh, Best Buy. And just came out of the Best Buy, she said. And then this, you know, huge creature, you know, seven, eight foot, that's huge. Ten foot wingspan. Span. I mean, if it's close enough where it is, as she reported, swooping down in front of you, uh, you know, that's going to be huge. And so she reported that, you know, she came out of the Best Buy, this thing swooped down in front of her in daylight and then she snapped a photo. She was able to fumble in her purse, you know, grab her, her phone and snap a photo in time before it it uh, flew out of eyesight. Now, um, so I went there and, you know, I was, I'm disappointed when I go to locations and it's not creepy enough for me, I got to say. But it was like just your regular run-of-the-mill strip mall and so busy. Uh, that's that's um, another thing that... that became clear to me as I researched these cases, uh, you know, 60-some cases, wow, but why aren't there more reports is is my question, because those areas where uh, the Mothman has been reported for the most part are very, very busy. In the parking lot there, you know, I did stay there for quite a while because uh, what I wanted to do is reframe the shot so t- I could find the exact area of the parking lot where the witness took it. And uh, so just the cars coming at you, I mean, it was so overrun with people. So that's what started to, you know, turn my mind to see that, you know, other than just the report of, you know, this extraordinary creature, it's implausible that, you know, if it is so big, more people wouldn't have reported it. So I spent a long time in that parking lot and I was able to frame up the shot and saw that it was really far away from the Best Buy, you know, like mid parking lot. So even that didn't match up with the witness report of coming right out of the Best Buy. There it is. Here I'm taking the photo. Uh, you know, it it took like a minute or, or or two to get from the Best Buy, you know, all all the way to where the shot was taken. Uh, the other thing, of course, I noticed is uh, Melrose Park is right in the pathway of O'Hare Airport, one of the busiest airports in the world. And as I was hanging out there, I saw dozens of planes. And so then I took a photo as well of the planes up in the air. And when you compare it with the blurry photo that's purportedly Mothman, you can clearly see the distinctive shape of an airliner. Mm. And I was like, why isn't anyone else saying this? It, it's, I mean, why, why do reports like that just stay out there and they're not questioned? Uh, this really bothered me. And, and I know that not all uh, paranormal enthusiasts and researchers are that lackadaisical about it. But, I, you know, I think when you start seeing that the reports, you know, don't match up, you know, that's your alert to, hey, you know, maybe we need to do something about this as the paranormal community and call out when things don't match up. Because if we're really interested in the essential questions and these things 
that are paranormal are so hard to uh, quantify and qualify. You know, they're just so vague and and so, um, you know, so so hard to capture. Uh, you know, you can't waste your time on something that seems to be obviously a hoax or or somebody just fooling around with you, uh, you know, re- making a bogus report. Well, that yeah. So wow, you touched on a lot of stuff there in that in that 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 section of your conversation because one of the things I wanted to talk about was the source for this material. A lot of this is coming from Lon Strickler's uh, Phantoms and Monsters website, and he's sort right. of. You mentioned the idea of a clearinghouse. He's sort of serving as a clearinghouse, and he's he's seeking out sightings. So he's asking for people if you've seen something, say something, basically related to this. And the it it I've seen this reported as a a, a sort of uh, a flap of of Mothman sightings, or you know, uh, you know, as a a, a lot, but sixty three sightings in Chicago, even though it sounds like a lot. Is not a lot because there's about three million people living in Chicago, and then in, yeah. the, in the metro area, there's like ten million people in the surrounding mm-hmm. area, and uh, sixty-three people reporting something strange is less than insignificant. I mean, it's just nothing, right? I mean, even uh, if they're absolutely sincere, it doesn't really represent a huge number of sightings. But uh, I, 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 I'm. It's the way he's gathering that information. I'm, I'm, you know, we'll probably reach out to Lon and and see if he wants to talk to us as well. But the these, you know, if everybody is sincere about what they're seeing, um, I I, uh, I I still have a lot of questions because it's a really really populated city, and not only is it populated, but it's populated twenty four hours a day. Uh, yeah. yeah, I mean Atlanta. I I'm, I'm from the Atlanta area, and Atlanta shuts down at night. But over the past couple of years, I spent a lot of time in Chicago for work. First of all, let me just say I love that city a lot. It is a great <laughs> – I, I know it gets a bad reputation as being like a murder capital, but it really <laughs> is a wonderful place where you can do – 24 hours a day, you can find something to do. There are people on the street. I never had a bad experience. I mean, it was just great. I love that place. And it's got so much history. So, yeah. Um, <laughs> and I'm a petite person who went to some of the roughest neighborhoods uh, and never had a problem. I, you know, I'm, I'm not saying don't be cautious, you know, <laughs> but, you know, any anywhere Mothman was sighted, I went and, you know, some so some of these areas are are notorious. But, you know, I, I think I think uh, the murder capital idea has been overblown. You're not going to yeah. be accosted on the street. If yeah. I wasn't, you'll probably be fine. <laughs> yeah, well, that's the. It, it goes back to that uh, high number of murders, and then you have to look at per capita, of, you know, for the population. Obviously, every murder is a tragedy for someone, but but uh, I just it, it, these Mothman sightings, I just don't know how significant they are. And I, I just, I mean, when you think about like Chicago has such a a haunted history. My gosh, there's so many ghost stories around Chicago and and legends and uh, so many interesting, yeah. I've always wanted to check out the Resurrection Mary stories. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And uh, one of my inspirations for my Haunted History tour was Richard Richard Crow, who uh, we lost just a, a few years ago. But he started uh, the whole uh, Haunted History uh, tour business um, in the U.S. in 1973. And that's right around the time they were starting uh, the Haunted Tours of London as well. So, uh, you know, 1973, you know, that's... Uh, 
that's a long time, but there's just su- such extraordinary stories from every city. Now, as you say, Blake, some of those areas are just so overrun with people night and day because, you know, as I said, you know, when I was doing my Mothman videos, I would usually take like a whole day and then stay out really late to try to get in as many of the locations as I could. And even, you know, late at night, there's people on the street everywhere. So, yeah, my question is, why why haven't more people seen this thing if it is so huge? And, and my other, my other uh, issue is that when there's obvious, there's obvious problems with an account, why is this not addressed? Because like I was talking about with the Melrose Park, uh, Melrose Park photo, you know, people just take it on face value. Now there was, uh, there were a couple of other reports um, from, um, from a rougher neighborhood in Chicago. Uh, and I didn't realize that, oh, there, there's two reports from that same corner. So I actually went back there twice on, on a couple of different occasions. Now, um, one of the reports said that it was from a police officer and that that police officer said he filed a police report. And so I was really excited about that because if there indeed was a police report, then, you know, that's something we can act on. That's something we can get. And so I was really um, looking forward to talking to uh, Lon and the other members of uh, the Chicago Phantom Task Force, uh, of which I was a member for a while (laughs) until I started waxing skeptical uh, and uh, was kicked out. But um, so my my question uh, to them was like, hey, who's followed up on this? who has uh, asked for the report and what was the response? Because, you know, uh, I, I, I don't know exactly um, how it works in Chicago. I've, I've gotten police reports here uh, in the Milwaukee area. Uh, and I know, um, I know from freedom of information, uh, freedom of information act requests that I've done that uh, there, um, wow, there's, there's, like a certain way you have to approach it to get the information. So that's why I wanted somebody to come forward to me and tell me, well, who did you approach? What happened? So I could follow up so that we could get this thing. And unfortunately, no one in the group could get back to me. Uh, another person in the group that I still maintain contact with told me that uh, it, it was known that there was no police report. It was it was just like widely known among the group members that, you know, that part of the report was bogus. Well, my question is, if, if someone is going to tell you they filed a police report or even state that they're a police officer and you can't track that down and verify it, you know, why would you uh, why would you listen to any of the rest of the account? It, it's got to be bogus. So I went through my own sources to see if I could track down that police report and uh, never was able to find a report that matched that description, Uh, was able to find out about other reports that happened that day. But it looks like that report does uh, not exist. And again, uh, why 
why isn't that report suspect then? In in uh, Lon Strickler's book about the Chicago Mothman sightings, he even talks about that case in particular. And um, his argument is, well, anybody that's you know willing to lay down their life for you know the people of Chicago, you know, I'm going to believe what he says. <laughs> and I'm like, well, that's great if that person's really a police officer. Right, right. But <laughs> but how do we know that this person isn't just a poser if you cannot get access to re- a report that he says he filed? That, yeah, that actually, that's a pretty common thing in historical ghost cases, too, where people say we filed a police report. Or yeah. also, uh, there was a Pinkerton investigation or some other well-known uh, detective agency invo- investigated. And then you never can find any evidence that that was actually true. So, yeah. yeah. It's a way of adding veracity to the report without actually having to do anything. It's like it instantly gives it credibility Except that maybe it's not true. Yeah. <laughs> because most people aren't going to look into it. Right. Exactly. Well, well, and, and you know, my experience from doing historical research for my haunted history tour is, you know, going the other way, where I'm looking back into any documentation I can find and seeing what weird stuff pops up. And that can be really compelling. Although, uh, of course, in Milwaukee, they trashed all the historical uh, police reports back in the 70s. So I, I can't go there uh, for a, at least historical police reports. Oh, no, that's tragic. Yeah. <laughs> so sad. Uh, because when you find something in the newspaper, you want to be able to track it down. Uh, you know, I have been able to use city directories uh, and other means to uh, verify parts of different accounts uh, in the stories that I use in my haunted history tours and presentations. Uh but yeah, it, it, man, I would love to have those police reports to, to see, uh, you know, if there's anything in there. Can you imagine some of the cool stuff you might find? Oh, yeah. No, the, I ran into the same thing when I did uh, my Watertown ghost re- uh, research uh, for a ghost photo. The uh, National Archives had destroyed, they had, I don't know how many uh, maritime records from non military ships. Just logbooks, but I'm sure they had a ton of interesting information in them, and they didn't have room, so they got rid of them. And then, you know, yeah. within 10 years, microfish and digitization would have taken care of the space issue, but yep. you know, now it's gone forever. Right, shame. And, and one of the things, too, uh, about, uh, you know, verifying accounts that I think is really important that, you know, I, I told other investigators is, hey, hey, guys, no, don't take this wrong because uh, we're all friends here. But I, I have said, look, you know, there are skeptics and, you know, some of them are really dogmatic. You know, some of them, I would say, are, are really cynics, not truly skeptical. Mm-hmm. And. If you are going to do paranormal research, you have to make sure that everything that you can verify is verifiable or, you know, is verified. Anything verifiable is verified. You, you know, you can't just take uh, what people tell you. You know, it's great to have eyewitness testimony, but that can't be the only resource that you use. You know, you have to find things that can back it up. And if they don't back it up, you have to say so. And and I said, you know, this is how, you know, some uh, paranormal enthusiasts have been duped in the in the past, like with James Randi and, and others uh, who have trapped people um, in, you know, to show the, the laxness, laxness, uh, laxness, sorry, I can say it, um, of their so-called investigation. 
And, you know, I think if you really want to investigate the paranormal, you've got to be able to have boots on the ground. You've got to be able to actually go to the places and, you know, see what you can see. Um, so what I started uncovering with the Chicago Mouthman case is more and more inconsistencies. And, and we can talk about some more of those if you'd like. Hello, I'm Paul Giamatti. And I'm Stephen Asma. Each week on Chinwag, we dig into the weird topics you wonder about, that you care about. The stuff none of us are totally sure of, like the Bermuda Triangle, Mothman, consciousness, philosophy, UFOs, ghosts, or say Bigfoot. So who's to say that there's not alien species that are Sasquatch? Like I've seen a ghost, and I would hear something walking and breathing. Maybe every path is right. I will accept as a premise that every path is right. That is a face on Mars. Eyes, nose, it kind of looked like Wilson the volleyball. Some people enjoy the waves or whatever uh, crashing, and I enjoy listening to a quantum physics audiobook. I do think there are many things in the world that we just don't understand and probably won't understand. That's our whole show. (laughs) So join us every Wednesday on all major podcast platforms and find us on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter at ChinwagPod and Wagon. We've got a podcast recommendation I think will be really fun and or useful for Monster Talk listeners. I Know Dino, the big dinosaur podcast. Studying dinosaurs can teach us about the prehistoric world, but also the world of today. For example, migration patterns of dinosaur lineages can tell us about the Earth's changing continents. Climate models of dinosaur ecosystems help us understand global warming. Studying dinosaur diets can help show the link between plant and animal evolution. Talk about paleo. Hmm. In many dinosaur injuries, (laughs) paleopathologies are the first known occurrences of diseases. A new episode of I Know Dino comes out every week with new dinosaur discoveries you won't hear about anywhere else. You can find I Know Dino on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Sure, sure. If you want to tell us about some others. Yeah, well, um, one person that has helped me in my investigations is Sam Moranto. He's actually the... uh, He's the Illinois um, director for um, the Mutual UFO Network. And so this guy is obviously interested in the field as well, uh, very open to phenomena. And he he actually uh, found that um, several of uh, the cases uh, that were first reported uh, to MUFON. So not only Lon Strickler was taking the reports in the early days, um, MUFON got a few of the reports as well. And Sam found that uh, several of them uh, were coming from the same IP addresses. And so, again, that's a red flag because if it's coming from the same IP, it's likely coming from the same person. And and I mean, Suspicious. so so you have a tech br- uh, background, Blake. What what can you add to that? Because I'm I'm not a tech expert. Uh, I know that you are, but uh, you know, if it's coming from the same IP, you know, what does that tell you? Well, just for listeners who don't know about this, uh, in in there's this idea of internet protocol. So every item, every device on the internet needs to have a unique address, and that's called the internet protocol address. And so. 
those uh, there's a limited number of those. In fact, uh, this we're using IP version four, which has a, a numerical number. I forget the number off the top of my head, but we've run out of those numbers. And so the way they've gotten around that is like a business might have one or two private addresses or like you know personally owned addresses, but inside that space they have you can give out like you can duplicate addresses, uh, uh, and that's okay. But you could track back to a single user if they have a private IP address. So it's interesting that someone would have a private IP address because uh, it, what they use is uh, something called DHCP. Basically, when you, <laughs> when you are with a, an ISP, they will give you a different address when you log on unless you pay for a static address. So for someone to have a static address and then use that to send different reports but from the same IP address suggests that they're well, it suggests one individual is sending multiple, you know, claims. That it's a, it's a fairly reliable way of saying that someone's pulling a prank. Uh, is is the bottom line? It's a good technical way of saying. That statistically, it's extremely unlikely that they would dynamically give out an IP address to random people, and then those random people would get the same address and then use it. So I'd say that's a pretty reliable indicator that uh, that that the source of that information is one hoaxer not multiple people within a company, for example. So Yeah, so that that was that was Sam's conclusion as well. So, you know, there are people in the paranormal that are digging into the nitty gritty and looking uh, for those details because as they say, the devil's in the details. And uh, other things that Sam Moranto has pointed out to me is that um, sometimes, um, quite often actually, in uh, the reports, they, uh, the witness will say it's a full moon or it was raining. And so every report uh, where something verifiable was mentioned, he tracked those down and unfortunately found, hey, there was no full moon that night or it wasn't raining or mm. this these are these conditions existed, which make it unlikely that this person was actually on a boat that day, you know, seeing, seeing two Mothman fly above them. You know, there, there were things in the report that he could look, look at and track down. And he did indeed do that. So there are investigators that are willing to put in, you know, that level of rigor, but there are others who, you know, become really popular and, then don't don't follow it up. Just put anything out there. And and my point too is, hey, maybe something real is going on. I I uh, I have taken uh, accounts of you know strange flying beings. Uh, I even know someone who uh, saw something that appeared to be a pterodactyl the size of a Piper Cub plane. And so. There are people who see extraordinary things, and perhaps there are a few of these Chicago accounts where something was seen that is unusual. But how can you find which uh, reports, uh, you know, are are uh, something that should be looked further into or or should be fully investigated when you have, you know, all of this nonsense cluttering up, uh, cluttering up, uh, you know, your database. It really muddies the water for investigators. There, if something authentic and weird did go on, how would you know? If you're going to take whatever report and just throw it up there as if it's truth. Yeah. And yeah. You were uh, saying earlier, too, that you mentioned one of the sightings was during the day, but it seems like a lot of the, the sightings are, are taking place at night. 
Yeah, there are quite a few at night, but there are daytime sightings as well. It, it's it it's pretty much um, all times, all hours of the the night, all hours of the day, uh, mm-hmm. and you know there there's many accounts which, again, you read them and it sounds like somebody's creative writing project. It sounds <laughs> like a, a movie trope. And again, uh-huh. that's a red flag. And another thing that uh, Sam Moranto and other investigators did is is they looked at the report for commonalities in like verb use and uh, phrasing and found that hey, this really looks like it's the same person. But then um, a friend of mine um, was able to interview Lon Strickler and he did reveal that after he takes the account, he will rewrite it to sound more interesting. And, and to wow. me, that's a slippery slope. You just want to take mm. the, the witness account uh, as raw as you can get it and, mm. you know, quote them, not, not wrap a story around it. So, again, you know, we, we, we don't have any proof there. But like I said, it's a slippery s- slope. If you're trying to make something exciting, uh, you know, I think – it's exciting already, you know, if we're talking mm-hmm. about, uh, you know, an eight, eight foot tall flying humanoid, uh, we, we don't need <laughs> we don't need any embellishments on that. But but yeah, you know, making sure that uh, the environmental details match up or, you know, the details of the locations matched up. There, there was another account that talked about the Mothman uh landing on uh, a basketball hoop and so I went around and around this this account was um, one of the handful from uh, 2011 and so I went around and around just trying to find where is this park and so finally I found it it was like a little speck between two buildings it was like a kiddie playground for toddlers and so I did find it, but no basketball hoop. Now, you know, you might say, well, you know, maybe they had one there uh, in 2011. But again, it was oriented towards this playground, towards toddlers, and there wasn't much room. So I find it implausible that there was a basketball hoop or, you know, even that it could have it could have held a mothman. Um <laughs> Yeah, my because, toddler doesn't play basketball. Yeah, but if memory serves, that's also the same one where they talked about a uh, five-story building in the yeah, area and there wasn't indeed. one as well. Indeed. Mm, interesting. And again, I went all around trying to find a five-story building. There were no five-story buildings uh, mm. in the location. They all uh, you know, had three stories as the limit. So I don't know what five-story building they were talking about. So again, these things have to match up. And you know, I know that uh, these investigators, uh, many of them are not in the area. You know, they're not from Chicago. They're not from Milwaukee. They're not from anywhere near. But when somebody like me is willing to go to every site, you know, I would expect that maybe you take some of that information that I'm able to glean seriously and use that for your investigation, even if it doesn't, uh, it doesn't complement what you're trying to do. You know, you know, maybe you're, you're trying to make out that, um, you know, something extraordinary is going on uh, and there's just not enough evidence to support that. Good point. Well, uh, aside from the discrepancies uh, in the 
between the reports and what's actually physically on the ground. And uh, you mentioned that Lon may have rewritten some of these. I wonder if that may be a factor. But but I, what about the description of the creature itself? Are they consistent or are we, are we talking about... Is there some variety in the descriptions of what they're seeing versus, for example, what was reported in, in, in Point Pleasant in West Virginia? Yeah, they're, they're pretty consistent in that it was, uh, you know, thought to be, uh, you know, eight feet tall, seven to eight feet tall, 10 foot wingspan. You see that a lot. And you also see the glowing red eyes and this feeling of dread. Um, those are are things which seem to be pretty consistent. Uh, but there are some reports, uh, like there's one where, where I actually did get to talk with a witness um, who the witness says that he saw, you know, something that had like a scallop bat looking wing. But uh, when you talk to the witness, you're like, well, was this a humanoid? And he's like, uh, you know, it really sounds like it's more of a UFO. And yet it was lumped in. And um, there's another report which uh, describes like a green bug-like creature uh, jumping from a high building. So these things were just kind of rolled in. There's, there's also another report which talks about just seeing two red lights. And I guess they put that in there with the Mothman reports because uh, of the glowing red eyes. But uh, you know, the, the actual witness didn't report seeing a creature, just seeing, you know, two floating red lights, which seemed mysterious. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. And, I, you know, I guess you can't, um, you can't get away from recognizing that um, this all happened uh, right before the uh, December 15th, uh, 2017 anniversary of the Silver Bridge collapse in Point Pleasant. So it was the 50th anniversary of that bridge collapse, which is associated with uh, the, you know, most prominent um, Mothman uh, sightings, which, which occurred in Point Pleasant, West Virginia from 1966 to 1967, and then culminated uh, in that bridge collapse, which, um, which claimed over 40 people uh, you know, on their way back home from Christmas shopping. So it was a terrible tragedy. Whether or not it's connected to the, the you know, Mothman, of course, is, is up for debate. But, you know, that is something, uh, you know, a terrible tragedy that is in the minds of, you know, people that are interested in this. And so it's it's just kind of curious that that this occurred just in time for that anniversary. Yeah, do you think you, it could be a? Sorry, go ahead, good Karen. Sorry, sorry, do you think this could be a kind of transplant urban legend because of that? Boy, I mean, it's it's hard to know. It it you know you don't want to think that that anybody in the field is making anything up for um for some purpose, but. Yeah, it, it's it's really hard to say. I, I don't know why um, there have been, as you say, Blake, you know, there should be more reports if it's being seen in such a populated city. But still, you know, to to um, be uh, so dedicated to a hoax, uh, to keep calling in sightings, and we're up to 67 now, I mean, that's curious also in itself, you know, who is so devoted to this that, you know, even even after the anniversary, you know, we had 
several sightings, and um, we have, um, you know, and, and to 2018, it, it looks like it might be the same as as 2017. Is is it just that you know it's getting some press and more people are jumping on the bandwagon? It's really hard to tell, but Copycat uh, sightings or something. Right. Yeah, it, it's it's really hard to tell. But is is there some kind of creature uh, in Chicago? Well, you know, we don't have much to go on because, again, uh, the witnesses contact uh, the, the, the witness contacts are going to so few people and you're not allowed to verify those contacts. Uh, you know, if you try to reach out to witnesses, you get some backlash from other investigators. And to me, you know, anytime you're investigating something, you know, I think you would welcome uh, people coming in to try to, uh, you know, verify, you know, what you're talking about, unless you know that it can't be verified. Yeah, yeah. This kind of ties in with like the idea of pious fraud, right? We've talked a little bit about that before on Monster Talk, where People report miracles and sometimes people fake miracles because they feel like, you know, this is the kind of miracle that would happen and maybe does happen, but we need more evidence because it's, it's for the better, you know, it's for the greater good. It helps, you know, give people faith. Um, yeah. Doesn't it go back to Padre Pio and his sort of uh, the, some of the things that he's replicated to try and, and prove his, his original claims to try and reinforce those. Yeah. yeah. There's so many of those, but it happens in cryptozoology as well. It happens in ghost claims where people sometimes hoax, uh, and sometimes don't even bother to hoax. They just report. You don't even, I mean, a hoax report is way easier than actually creating a fake. Like, you know, in, in cryptozoology, a lot of times people will do things like Bigfoot tracks or, you know, fake videos. But, um, I think they in this case, usually yeah. do that when they honestly believe in it and they're just trying to convince other people. Yeah, it, it's, it's really a curious thing. We probably should do a, 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 another episode just discussing the, the sort of psychology of hoaxing, but it, it's a well-known yeah. thing. But but also people genuinely, you know, and I think maybe this is the word I'm looking for, it's the question of sincerity. When you're looking at rewritten reports online, it's really difficult to tell how sincere the, the reporters are. Uh, yeah. The experiencers are. And and we all, I, I mean, I think, I don't know, I shouldn't say we all, but a, a large majority of people would really sort of relish the idea of experiencing something fringy, paranormal, unusual, cryptozoological. It, it's, it's novel. It reminds you there's something wonderful and strange in the world. Um, it gives you uh, a glimpse into, you know, these ideas beyond, you know, our mundane, normal drudge of lives you know sure um, yeah it gets you gets you beyond the mundane uh, and and i i can understand that i mean that's why anytime we go on vacation i seek out those places where these reports have been made but i think you know i i, I don't i guess i don't understand the psychology of somebody that just wants to make something up yeah. you know and, and like how about, could you yeah. self-deceive to that level well, yeah. and it's so annoying for the people who care, right? Like the people who would bother. Like, I, I don't want to like be a Debbie Downer, you know. I, <laughs> I want <laughs> to know the the truth, you know, and Absolutely. and I, I don't want people to hoax because it, it dilutes the pool of information out there, you know. It's 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 like, uh, there are strange things that happen, but you know whether they're paranormal or not is is 
is really it's a tough enough question without people adding fake information to the to the things we have to sift through. Well, I, I think I think we are we're on the same page with that because, you know, I'm like there's there's enough extraordinary things that do happen, you know. I know they're elusive, but and you got to be patient and you know sitting through those those uh, you know eight to ten to twelve to sixteen hour paranormal investigations just alone in the dark. <laughs> You know, uh, talking to yourself and uh, into the recorder. I mean, that takes a lot of dedication to do. But you know, there are people out there who really are are interested in doing the work. And I, I guess we have to clean our own house of the people who are muddying the waters. I think that's that's my message. And you know, that's why I'm so glad to be on today because. I, you know, I, and I think it's important too that, uh, you know, this is a skeptic magazine podcast, but that people who uh, are in the paranormal will talk to so-called skeptics because I think you know mo- more of us uh, have something in common than than not. I mean, and I, I think if we brought our two camps together, th- there'd be a lot of interesting revelations that would come out of it. Oh, I agree. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, I think there's a lot of distrust on both sides. Well, right. it's, it's interesting because watching, you know, some of your discussions, I, I gather that, you know, in, in skeptic group, I think this is true for every group that involves people, right? <laughs> that they they tend to splinter and have issues with each other and, and you know, that factions, that, <laughs> factions and, and different agendas and all that. But but what you know there's there's plenty of interesting things that can unite us it's just really hard to get people to work together i i've had that mm-hmm. problem here in georgia as well i want to go on ghost tours and that sort of thing but it, you know as soon as i declare that i'm a skeptic uh then they're not interested in having me shut down yeah, <laughs> yeah. so which is too bad because i'm hilarious right. <laughs> <laughs> you you are I, i'm disappointed that there haven't been more puns like yeah yeah where, so. where are my puns <laughs> Sorry, I I'll, I'll have to wing it. So yeah. <laughs> there we go. Nicely there done. Nice. Go. Thank you. Um, the other interesting thing, though, is is there are um, people that as as I've you know I'm not going to talk too much about the backlash, but I have experienced backlash, uh, you know, for taking a skeptical position, and I won't talk about the details of that, but just to say um, that. I also experienced others who, you know, upon seeing that, you know, I was embattled, um, would come forward, other people in the paranormal community, and told me, hey, I had something similar happen to me when I expressed doubts about, you know, this other case. So, you know, there are people out there who who are searching for the truth. You know, they're not all hoaxers. There are people who are sincere and will do whatever they need to do to try to find answers. And, you know, I'd like to see more opportunities like that, like this, where where those people can come together with people like you guys (laughs) and, you know, try to sort this all out and get to something better, you know, get to a better um, form of investigation, you know, move to the next level. Uh, you know, I think we can really do that by working together uh, because, you know, I, I guess people don't like skeptics, you know, if they're going to be just naysayers, 
you know, if they're just going to dogmatically say, well, that's too crazy, it can't be. But if there are people who, like you guys, who are just reaching out there and, you know, trying to figure out what's what's real for yourself, I mean, like all of us are doing, you know, I think that that performs a great service because. Great. Thank you. Yeah, I really appreciate yeah. that. And I really appreciate that you asked the hard questions because that's the only way we're going to get to the truth. Well, I think we, we I, you've heard me probably say before that I, I call us, we're, we're in a ghetto inside a ghetto. It's already, you know, <laughs> uh, we're already a small group that are skeptics. And then mm. within those skeptics who are interested in these sort of questions and and don't just reject it. We, we want to go. We care. We're interested. You know, that puts us, yeah, exactly. It puts us in a ghetto inside a ghetto. So we're like in a. Uh, but I'll tell you this, uh, anytime I'm in, in Chicago, I'm more than willing to go look into this stuff and also eat at Nof Nof and, uh, and <laughs> Luminaltos. I would Yay. have a dish. And, <laughs> and uh, I'm going to say nonsense as well. There's a little place called Nonsense, uh, uh, which is uh, sort of like a like, uh, sort of Indian fast food with curry fries. It's astonishing. Oh, wow. man. Chicago, Ooh. you got to try that, it. Some... <laughs> that would be the perfect place for us to meet at a place yes. called Nonsense. <laughs> it is so <laughs> good. What we're all fighting against. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it, you know, it, it's not just the pun. The food's fantastic. So and they, they don't, they're not a sponsor, but nonsense in a maybe they could be yeah yeah i would oh my god i love their food so much (laughs) let's monetize (laughs) yes Uh, i guess we wanted to ask you if how are these sightings of the chicago mothman how are they uh similar or different to the original mothman sightings and do you think that it's possibly the same creature if indeed it is a creature well um i think that what's What's most interesting to me is that uh, the original Mothman sightings, you know, these witnesses came forward to the newspapers. They just didn't go to one source. And you were and and it's still today, you know, many of the witnesses that are, you know, still alive, you can contact and, and talk with them. Uh the difference here with a Chicago Mothman is, you know, something very insular is going on. <laughs> you know, it's like uh, a, a few witnesses um, have come forward to talk to me or other researchers that I know. But I, I think that's a big problem. You know, if there's witnesses and they uh, talk to somebody who thinks they have a, an exclusive right to their story, I think that gets in the way of more research into what might may really be going on. And are there Mothman type creatures? I don't know. Um, you know, I'm not saying there are or there aren't. You know, I, as I as I mentioned, you know, I know people who have seen, you know, something that looked like a pterodactyl, but um, you know, are these real creatures or is there something else going on? You know, I don't know. I'm not not saying that I'm an expert in it, but I'm saying that information uh, should be available to everybody and that witnesses out there should know that, you know, they can talk to uh, more than one person uh, to report their sighting. And if they did, I think that would benefit uh, the field greatly. So I think that's the big difference. Um, also, uh, I, I don't know if you guys saw this, but I was, uh, lucky enough to over spring break, go to, uh, go to Kent in England to do some research on another project that I'm working on. 
And while I was there, I'm like, hey, what about that 1963 sighting in Kent? Uh, I should do uh, I should do a video about that sighting uh, because, you know, I'm all Mothman all the time now. Unfortunately, <laughs> I do do other things. Uh, and you can find more of my work, too. Like, um, you know, if you go to YouTube.com uh, slash Mothman, there's more there than just Mothman. I have paranormal interviews that I've done with uh, researchers all over the world um i also uh anytime i go on vacation as i said i stay at haunted places so i make little haunted road trip videos uh so if you're interested in paranormal travels you might want to check out some of the videos i've made on that so um and you know i have a, a podcast as well uh, see you on the other side othersidepodcast.com so i'm interested in more than just uh the mothman but you know since i was there in england i thought hey you know uh, I'm going to check out the site of the 1963 Mothman sighting, um, which is really interesting because, uh, you know, people don't think about the Mothman occurring anywhere until, you know, 1966. But there was a sighting um, that was uh, covered um, in um, many publications. And the interesting thing that I found, which made me kind of, reconsidered John Keel as well because of course he wrote the Mothman prophecies about all the weirds going on in Point Pleasant um, he wrote that in 1975 now he also looked into this 1963 sighting and again cast it in the light uh, of the Mothman of that it was this strange winged creature but other people from Kent uh, thought that it might be a ghost, but to to be um, to be honest, uh, when you read the account, it it does seem more like a Mothman, you know, to, to just uh, let, let John Keel off the hook there. Um, so there are legends of that area in uh, in the county of Kent, England, uh, of William Turney, who was the uh, landowner. Um, in that area, a very prominent landowner. And um, when he died, he was built on a, a little island, which is now part of a park. And uh, so we stumbled into that park and, you know, uh, saw what we could see and, and did a couple videos there. Uh, but it was interesting seeing that in the, the newspapers at the time, people were speculating uh, as, you know, saying that, you know, maybe this was the, the ghost of William Turney, but what was really reported was uh, first seeing these red lights, uh, this red light coming uh, from the forest. And so some of the witnesses just saw these strange lights and others reported seeing um, this very tall uh, creature come out of the woods, very dark, long wings, very tall, and so that really does sound like the Mothman, except for one detail. It had webbed feet. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I, I prefer it to, to uh, call it a new creature, bat duck. I mean, that's, uh, <laughs> I think it's the bat duck. It's not really Mothman because, you know, no reports other than that described web, web feet. But we have Mothman and then we have bat ducks. Watch out for them. <laughs> I've heard of an Owl Man as well in Cornwall, I think it was. Yeah, uh, I'm I, wondering. I think that was in the 70s, though, not in the 60s. Right, that was in the 70s, and uh, recently, I think recently, actually not recently, um, I, I have uh, 
I just have, um, you know, boxes and boxes of old uh, 40 and Times uh, magazine. Uh, that's my favorite uh, paranormal mag. And uh, when the uh, movie came out uh, of the, the Mothman prophecies with Richard Gere, they had a special issue. Um, I believe this was 2002 or 2006. Anyway, um, they they came out with a special issue on the Mothman, and they looked into the whole um, Cornwall Owl Man, and feel and the you know the re- the reporter um, who wrote that article came out with the fact that that he he thinks it's an art ho- hoax. It's it's a bunch of art students that uh, came up with um, this owl like creature thing that they made um and and so that that was the conclusion on that one um at least in that one article interesting interesting yeah yeah <laughs> oh, we we love 40 and times it's a fascinating mm-hmm. magazine so yeah wow. and and again you know if you're interested in the paranormal you don't just have to go to places which uh you know just slap anything up as truth i mean you can you can find sources that have much more rigor. And 40 and Times is one of those where, yeah, I mean, a lot of and, times. And people, they pay, they pay, which is yeah. cool. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Which is rare among skeptics. Have you written for them, Blake? Yes, yes. You have, great. Yeah, um, yeah so, so that's another source that you can go to if you're really interested in the paranormal and you want the real stuff. You know, I think you'd, you'd be... Um, it would behoove you to, you know, find some sources that put a little rigor into their investigation. And, and 40 and Times is one of them. And, and there's also many, many organizations uh, that take parapsychology seriously. And there's many journals as well, uh, scientific journals about the paranormal and um, parapsychology. So, you know, there is there is that um, higher quality research going on. It's just that I want it to be, I want it to be more commonplace. I want it to be the norm rather than the exception. Well, that that, that goes into one of our, or at least my personal core values, which is uh, skepticism is a methodology. It's not a club, right? I mean, it's it's something that people should take on and use in whatever their field is to try to figure out what's true and what's not true. And if you don't, you know, then how can you distinguish? I mean, you can just be enthusiastic about the stories, but that's not going to tell you whether things are really happening or not. So Right. Why not just read fiction then? Yeah, is, exactly. Is my exactly. argument. You know, if right. you're really into the paranormal, uh, you know, science is a great methodology. <laughs> you know, it's it doesn't a, have yeah. to be your religion. And actually, it shouldn't, you know, this whole idea of scientism. You know, there are people who who take it on as a religion. And and to me, um, they're, they're in the, a similar position as, you know, dyed-in-the-wool believers. We have to meet in the middle. And, and I, I'm glad that's what we're doing today. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And that we actually... I talked about that with Massimo Pugliucci in, in a lost interview. That's one of the ones I lost. Oh, I, no. I really should have him back on Speaking again. But we, we talked a lot about scientism and the idea of just because something is, you know, has a scientific air about it, just believing it automatically. And that's just as dangerous, right? So, yeah. 
other side of the coin. Yeah. Yep, yep. Yeah, and right. I think too that there's other um, approaches too. There's science, but then you know there's also you know cultures across the world that you know have made discoveries, have have learned things um, without the benefit of science. So there are other approaches. You know, so we don't want to say that science is is the only one. Uh, you know, although hey, you know, I love my iPhone. <laughs> that <laughs> well, you know that technology came right out of science, but you know I. I think there's multiple ways to look at the world. Yes. Absolutely. So, uh, I, first of all, thank you for joining us today. I think we could probably just keep talking, but the, (laughs) we do have to wind down. So we we have, you're doing very good work though. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you so much. And we'll put links to all your stuff, your podcast Mm -hmm. and your playlist and anything else you want to send us, uh, in the show notes. That would be great. And uh, and to Lon Strickler's page and, and to his book. And people can sort of check this stuff out themselves. And we'll reach yeah. out to Lon and see if he wants to talk to us. And we're also yeah. planning to talk to Lauren Coleman, who's written a little bit about the uh, Chicago Mothman as well. Yeah. Uh, so um, I'm, I'm in his book, actually. Oh, cool. Uh, yeah, so, I'm, in, uh, I'm in that one, the, um, the recent one. Yeah, Mothman and Evil year? Incarnate. Evil he, he Incarnate, yeah. that's right. He won't and be talking to us until July, apparently. Yeah, his so. 2002 book has uh, my um, one, one of my reports about uh, a pterodactyl-type uh, creature, and that, that was the Mothman and other curious encounters from 2002. Sweet. Cool. Awesome. All right. So, Karen, you want to take us out? Yeah, yeah. So, Allison, you know uh, you're a listener. You know our, our final question for all of our guests. Yes, I do. <laughs> What's your favorite monster? <laughs> oh, man. See, I should have done more thinking on that. I wanted to be so prepared on the other stuff. <laughs> well, well it, it, it's it's not the Mothman. Um, oh, man. I, I think um, I think poltergeists. Yes, Ooh, poltergeists yeah. are my favorite monster. Um, I actually oh. know someone who... Um, who who is one of the tour guides on uh, the city of the dead tours in Edinburgh, Scotland. And so the Mackenzie poltergeist is my favorite monster because there's been um, so many reports of uh, poltergeist attacks uh, over the years attributed to the Mackenzie poltergeist. So I would say that's my favorite monster. So in Greyfriars Kirkyard in, in Edinburgh. Great. Greyfriars Kirkyard is such an interesting story. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's that's right. uh we haven't covered that on Monster Talk, but that's uh, no, I think I'm familiar with that one. Well, oh, really? I put yeah. you in touch with someone that can tell you all about it, and who's also a skeptic. So, uh, you you might be interested in finding out more about that. But yeah, that's my sure. favorite monster, just because it it seems to be you know whether it's you know caused by you know people uh, and and their beliefs and their expectations. Or, or what have you. I mean, there there's certainly something weird going on there with all the scratches, burns, and bite marks that, uh, you know, there's been over 500 uh, reports. And, uh, you know, to, to their credit, City of the Dead will actually try to drag those people back to the office who have had experiences and take photos and take a statement. So they do have a database uh, of of those reports. Uh, that it's they take really on the intriguing. Team. It's interesting. So... Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. Uh, so, yeah, we can put some links to that in the show notes as well. So Great. Great. All right. Well, thank you so much for taking the time yes. to talk to us and all the hard thank work you, you've put into this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much. I'm really glad to talk to you. And I hope this is just the first foray of, of you know, paranormal investigators and skeptics coming together. Yes. 
Absolutely. And uh, don't forget nonsense, uh, Nof Nof <laughs> and Lou Minaltos if you're in Chicago. <laughs> yeah, and let me let me know when you're coming into town. I would really love to meet up. Monster Talk. You've been listening to Monster Talk, the science show about monsters. I'm Blake Smith. And I'm Karen Stolzner. Today, you heard an interview with paranormal researcher Allison Jornlin. You can find links to her podcast and research in our show notes at monstertalk.org. I really do love Chicago. I've got some great friends there, and there's such great architecture and great food. There's so much to do and see. There's museums. There's clubs. Oh, it's my kind of town. Monster Talk's an official podcast of Skeptic Magazine. The opinions expressed on this show are those of ourselves and our guests and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Skeptic Magazine or the Skeptic Society. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Monster Talk. Each episode, we strive to bring you the best in monster-related content with a focus on bringing scientific skepticism into the conversation. If you enjoy Monster Talk, we now have a variety of ways to support the show, all with convenient links at monstertalk.org forward slash support. That's monstertalk.org forward slash support. There we have links to our Patreon pages as well as a donation button. A great way to support the show is to buy us books from our Amazon Monster Talk wish list which directly helps us with our research. We love used books very much, so don't feel compelled to buy new ones. And we love Kindle, and we can share our digital library with each other. Finally, without spending any money at all, you can support us by leaving a positive review at iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Positive reviews help keep us visible in iTunes, which is a great way to help us find new listeners. And please, share our show on your favorite social media platforms. Monster Talk theme music is by Pete Stealing Monkeys. As always, thanks so much for listening. that you can now subscribe to Skeptic Magazine digitally? Just grab our free Skeptic Magazine app, currently compatible with iOS, Android, PC, Mac, Kindle Fire, Kindle Fire HD, and BlackBerry Playbook. Head over to skeptic.com magazine app to find out more and download more of your favorite Skeptic content. Want to get Capone? Here's how you get him. He pulls a knife, you pull a gun. He sends one of yours to the hospital, you send one of his to the morgue. That's the Chicago way. And that's how you get the bomb.